One of our listeners asked, having heard Tom Gimble on the Wintrust Business Lunch before, hey, Tom, what's the best way to find a job these days? And we'll let him respond to that after we first ask him about something else that caught our eye in the Wall Street Journal. There is a story that said, and I'll just read the beginning of it, chances are your boss will give you some brutal feedback this year. That's not necessarily a bad thing. This moment in the workplace is all about efficiency. And one of the lines in here says the business's new mantra is make sure every seat is filled by the right person. Here's Tom Gimbel, the founder and CEO at LaSalle Network. Hi, Tom. Welcome back. Always good to be with you, John. Sounds like they're singing from your book there, my friend. Well, I, I the, the, the context of the article to me and the thought process is this is the year that is really driven by performance, both on a corporate level and on an individual level. And as the back and forth of in the office, out of the office argument continues and continues and continues, if that's the case, people are going to be measured very directly on what they accomplish. And so out of sight is not a mind. Companies are saying we're going to give direct feedback. It's going to be based on the work product because we don't have as much human interaction and I don't necessarily think that's brutal. I think that's honest. And, and I think that's really the differentiator is how things are viewed. So is this because maybe we are going to stay a hybrid workplace? Not all the companies love that. And so if you, if you want to stay at home, then understand we're going to look more critically at your value to the company. Yeah, I don't know if it's because we're going to stay hybrid or because companies want to go back to being in person and they're only going to allow the best of the best to be remote. So if you're not delivering at a very high level and you're remote, you're going to hear about that in your feedback and it's going to be exhibit A to exit you from the organization, which quite frankly isn't wrong. If you're not doing your job at the level of expectations, you shouldn't be there. Well, that's this line here. Make sure every seat is filled by the right person. Uh, when was that not a good idea? I mean, how is that a new development? Well, because when it's a supply and demand problem. Oh, so yeah, when, yeah. when employees are at a shortage to find people, you, you, you sacrifice what you're looking for. And so the result is, you know, there's a big thing right now that a, such a large percentage of the working population doesn't have a college degree and college-degreed workers are in short supply. So companies are having to bend the rules and do that. Okay, well, if you hire those people who don't have degrees, it's a, it's a quasi-experiment. And if you're not doing well and the rules have been bent for you, then they're going to exit you. And not just on that level. I'm not, that was just an example I'm saying across the board. Plenty of, what, plenty of people with degrees are going to get let go as a result of more direct feedback, too. Do you think you should sort of, uh, one of the things they say in the articles is that they sort of flag performance, like you're in the yellow zone right now, you're in the orange zone, you, you don't want to get to red, uh, you want to be more green, yellow, blue, um, or whatever. Um, do you think that sort of an ongoing grade or signal to employees is a good idea? I, if every company would do it, I think it would be great. Uh, I'll tell you why companies don't like to do it is because they don't want to scare people into leaving prematurely. Oh, yeah. And if unemployment is low and worker, quality workers are scarce, the moment you tell them that they're, they're, they're shifting into another, into another color grade, they get all worked up and they send out resumes. 
And so that's the balancing act. So now, as companies feel that they're probably a little bit overstaffed, they're okay with that, and they're going to tell people, I think, ongoing, if you can create that culture of accountability, that's great. Now, what are the companies that usually have that? Investment banks, law firms, companies that are deadline-driven, reviews, partnership tracks, things like that. But even there's gray area there, too. A15 said, hey, Tom, what is the best way to find a job these days? Online seems so impersonal, and I feel no one ever sees my stuff. Is it ever okay to call or walk into a company? Well, I think, number one, you only be prepared to walk in if you're willing to be on site five days a week, right? <laughs> if you go to a company's headquarters and then you say you want to work remote, you're probably sending the wrong message, number one. Number two, there's really two different things if you have a job or if you're unemployed. If you have a job, my advice is always, what don't you like about where you're at and how can you make it better? You know, but before going and looking for, for something else, see if, if maybe there's some things you can change both in yourself okay, and in I, the environment. I, I got that. I don't know what this person's deal was, but I think it's a good question if you are looking for a job and you don't have one. There's probably yeah, some 50-somethings so, so that are trying out, to... Go ahead. You want to find out who the hiring manager is. So if you're an accountant, you want to find out who the controller is. If you're a salesperson, who the director or vice president of sales is. And you want to reach out to that person directly, either via email, via LinkedIn, via snail mail. You know, there's really a myriad of different ways to go about it. But you want to reach out directly to that person and let them know what you can bring to them. Too often, and we've talked about this, John, people talk about, um, what they like about the company instead of what they can add value to the company. I get that, but I think what we're after here is real-time, real-time human interaction with somebody who can help you get that job. And if you walk in and say, I'd like to speak to somebody in hiring, is there a chance somebody's going to emerge from an office and go, hey, I'm Ted or Lois, and yeah, what can I do for there's you? There's always a possibility. I admi- that sounds always, a little yeah. desperate, but I admire the... Uh, you know, the, the chutzpah of that. A hundred percent. The key is you got to be ready. You walk in and ask to speak to somebody in human resources or the hiring manager of a department, you better look sharp. You better have your eye contact ready. You be, better be able to talk about what you can do for them and what your experience is because that's the differentiator. Otherwise, people are going to come out and go, I'm wasting my time. Yeah, yeah, but if you yeah. bring it, you're ready to go. It is a great strategy. Tom Gimble is with LaSalle Network. He's the founder and CEO. TheLaSalleNetwork.com is the website. Tom, always a pleasure. Thanks for your thoughts today. Temperatures are warming up and the job market's hot, John. Jim Dalkey, national editor at American Inno. Click on ChicagoInno.com for our version of that here. Hey, Jim, welcome back to the show. Hey, John, thanks for having me. We'd like to talk to you about the tech scene. There's a startup in Chicago. I think it's called Hackerverse. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, Hackerverse. Interesting new startup in Chicago uh, is operating in the cybersecurity space. They were just selected, actually, to a, a Google cybersecurity accelerator program. Just a second one of these programs that Google has done, but a nice little recognition uh, for this company. They're one of only just five U.S.-based companies that made it part of this program. Um, essentially, what Hackerverse is doing is creating a, a better marketplace for cybersecurity software. So if you're in the market, if your business is in the market, for cybersecurity tools, software, 
Uh, this is a great place to go to kind of see it in action. What they do is they kind of do these live demos where you can sort of see how the cybersecurity software works um, within its platform. So, yeah, really interesting new startup here in, in Chicago. Uh, cybersecurity, of course, uh, extremely pressing issue for just about everybody these days. And uh, certainly Google sees a, a, a big need for it as well, kind of creating an entire accelerator program specifically focused on cybersecurity. The program actually is taking place in Munich and just kicked off last week. So uh, this is a program, too, where, uh, you know, you get to connect with Google and their partners and, and not give up any equity either. This is an equity-free program that Google's operate, offering startups. So a nice little win there for Hackerverse as it looks to grow. So is the idea that, say, my company wants to ramp up its cybersecurity for our accounts and all of our proprietary stuff, and so then we would subscribe to this service from this company, and we would actually kind of do a beta, kind of do a demo of how they would uh, protect us? Yeah, and it's a little bit of that, and it's a little bit of showcasing other products as well. So you could go to Hackerverse and see how other products work uh, in real time. Actually, what they kind of call it is a sort of, quote, eSports platform. So you can kind of see how these different um, softwares uh, operate and how they compare against one another, and these sort of uh, demo, demos get to kind of t- get take place right in front of you, where you get to watch sort of in a in an events arena to you know to showcase some of these products. And so um, they're really taking an interesting approach for kind of you know not just selling software, but also displaying it and helping companies get um, you know a, a better sense of how it's going to work. So uh, yeah, really interesting company in Hackerverse. Alex Zorn has a story about uh, hydrogen, the hydrogen revolution. They call that. What is, what is that all about? Yeah, so this is a company called Celadine. Uh, they raised $4.5 million in new funding to bring hydrogen fuel to market. This is a startup that actually spun out of Argon Labs here in the Chicagoland area. Now they're uh, a startup here based in Chicago. Got some new funding in the bank here to kind of build their product which is looking to bring a, a more environmentally friendly alternative to diesel engines with its low-cost green hydrogen fuel. Um, so what they're, they're working on here is, uh, you know, really kind of bringing this hydrogen technology to market. You know, they say that this is a, a type of a fuel technology that can be used in a bunch of different sectors, so everything from, you know, manufacturing to delivery and shipping. And so what they want to do is kind of make these fuel cells more durable so hydrogen can be used in uh, used as fuel in these different markets. And so, um, you know, 4.5 million, nice little chunk of change here as the startup is, uh, you know, spinning out of Argonne and uh, it creates a sort of standalone business here. Uh, you know, they've got, um, you know, leaders in their company from a handful of, uh, you know, notable companies, um, you know, employees from Argonne, employees from the U.S. Navy, uh, Siemens Energy, Heisen Motors, Northwestern. So uh, lots of uh, smart folks a part of this team, a little money in the bank here as they look to bring this uh, technology to market. We always sound so promising or optimistic about these ideas. You also have a story, though, about one startup that just didn't make it, Genera. Am I saying that right? Yeah, Genera. So, yeah, you're, you're exactly right, John. You know, we, we are every day are writing about, you know, new startups that are launching, but we're also tracking the startups that are closing their doors, and that's the case of a story last week on Chicago NL about the, the story of Genera. This is a company, a travel startup, that was actually founded uh, by the CEO and founder of Orbitz, Jeffrey Katz. Uh, Jeffrey Katz founded Orbitz uh, back in 2000. Of course, the 
a travel company that sold to Expedia in 2015 for $1.3 billion. In 2016, uh, Katz founded Jernera, and uh, you know they had raised over $30 million from some blue-chip VC firms like Andreessen Horowitz. Um, you know, they set out uh, to really tackle an interesting piece of the puzzle for travel um, consumers. Their software allowed travel companies to communicate with, with one another and provide really, you know, a more seamless end-to-end travel experience for the customer. So, uh, you know, their software could basically automatically rebook a rental car reservation when your, tr- uh, when your flight was canceled, for example, or make sure a hotel room was ready earlier if your uh, flight was arriving in the morning, for example. It allowed these kind of different travel companies to work together and communicate with one another. And yeah, basically the, the company said it just was not able to scale and get to the profitability level that it needed to, um, to continue to grow. The, the, uh, the founder also cited a few other things like your, uh, you know, data privacy law and California's consumer privacy act. And, you know, the fact that these companies, um, you know, were facing data breaches themselves and just found that they wanted to keep their data in-house rather than work with a third-party data firm. And so those pr- those things, kind of those headwinds combined together, put Junera in a tricky place, and uh, they closed their doors last week. Too bad it sounds like that was a good idea. I'll bet the marketplace would have liked it if they could have pulled it off. Jim Dahlke is a national editor at American Inno, chicagoinno.com for some of these stories. Jim, we'll talk again. Thank you, sir. Thanks, John. Peter Kafka joins us, the chief correspondent of Business Insider at businessinsider.com. A fascinating story here, Peter, about what Google is doing, and that means what YouTube is doing and how many people are watching YouTube. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So just give me the headline on that. What's going on here? So the story I wrote was about um, something called YouTube TV, not YouTube. So it's going to get a little confusing, but I'll try to keep it straight for you. YouTube TV is essentially a a cable provider, um, just like Comcast or Charter, whoever you've got it, um, providing conventional cable TV to to your listeners. They have a version of that that now has 8 million subscribers, and that makes them either the third or fourth largest cable TV company in the U.S. Um, That's separate and in addition to regular YouTube, which is also very popular and also something people can watch on TV. Does that make sense? I think so, although I don't need to subscribe to YouTube to watch YouTube. That's an app that I can access. It's free. Yes. It it turns out that is also the most popular streaming service on television for the last couple of years running. Uh, Nielsen just put out new numbers today. So people are watching a ton of YouTube on television. Some of it they're getting for free, some of it they're paying for. So in my neighborhood, uh, one of them is Mediacom, another one is Comcast. They would be my Mm -hmm. cable provider. I would subscribe to them and then get the platform of channels, depending on what level of service I want to pay for. Is YouTube TV then in competition with that? Is that an alternate uh, it's alternate. an alternate. You still, you still, need, you'll still need uh, Comcast or Media One to get you broadband. You need someone to get, connect your house to a broadband internet connection. Um, but then once you've done that, you don't have to use Comcast or Media One for TV. You could get it from YouTube TV. YouTube TV costs about 72, 72 bucks a year, seventy-two bucks a month. Sorry for a big suite of channels, probably at a discount to what you're paying for Comcast, although it's, that's debatable. Yeah, right. I mean, that's the question. There's just so many ways to watch TV these days. Mm-hmm. Um, where does this fit in? Is it more convenient? Is it easier to navigate? Is it a better value? 
Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I use a competitor called Hulu Live, and the reason I use it is because it's just easier for me to use when I'm on the go, when I'm on my phone. Um, I'm, uh, but um, for a lot of people, just don't, they simply aren't paying for cable TV, period, which is the, the industry's real big problem. The fact that YouTube TV is a competitor is, is – the fact that YouTube TV is one of the biggest um, pay TV services – one indicates that YouTube TV has grown a lot, but also that the Comcast and Charters of the world have been shrinking. They've been losing subscribers year over year over year. People, are, Most young people um, are not paying for TV, period. Right. Although, uh, what do they offer that the other guys don't? I mean, how is YouTube TV, not YouTube, but YouTube TV, mm-hmm. uh, is it just price? They'll, they'll tell you price. They'll tell you convenience. Um, they're also the ones that are now offering um, Sunday ticket. If you're a big NFL fan, they're the ones who have the rights to that. Um, although you don't actually have to get YouTube TV to buy that to make it even more complicated. Uh, they're saying it's a better overall experience. It's easy. Uh, one thing that's great about um, these digital services, they're very easy from the consumer's perspective to quit. Um, you don't need to call a, a technician to come out and take your box. You don't, generally aren't signing up, signing up for a year or more. You can quit month to month if you want. Um, so that's an advantage. And it seems to work. I mean, again, they've gone from zero people in 2017 to 8 million today. How important is it that Google is the company behind this? It's pretty interesting because Google and YouTube spent a lot of time trying to take over conventional TV without becoming a conventional TV company. They thought we're really smart. We figured out online ads. We can certainly crack TV. And they spent a lot of time trying to crack TV without becoming a conventional TV company. And then none of that really worked. And eventually in 2017, they said, all right, well, we're just going to go ahead and do what everyone else is doing. And that does seem to work. I'm not quite sure why they're doing it, um, because it's still not their core business. Um, Their core business is selling ads. And and YouTube's core business is the free version that did about $9 billion in the last quarter alone. It's phenomenally successful. So I'm not quite sure what they get out of running a pay TV operation, but it's obviously something they're interested in. How important is the navigability of these different platforms? I don't know that maybe they care. I don't know that they necessarily do. Uh, They don't seem to be very creative about it, or as they are, they just don't seem to either make it easy as a user experience or correctly anticipate what I want. Can you talk about that at all? They all say they're getting better at it. They'll tell you they're better at it. I just went to Philadelphia last week and watched a big Comcast presentation where they're showing off their box and their navigation for it. I find it all not to be nearly as good as it ought to be, especially in 2024. Right. Um, but I do think it's, you know, it's miles ahead of, of the old school version of literally turning the channel or flipping through the, yeah. the cable dial, hoping you find something. So that that's all improved a lot. It's still not nearly as good as it ought to be, I think. Yeah, right. Um, and what's new about this? Is it just their rise that they um, are, are, are they keep coming and coming? Their numbers are growing when others are getting smaller. I think that is that's literally it. It's I mean, Comcast and Charter, who are the two biggest cable TV providers in the in the country, generally try to not call themselves cable TV providers anymore. They say we're broadband companies because that's a business that's not going away. It's very high margin. Um, usually is a monopoly or duopoly in whatever yeah. neighborhood they're in. Um, and they they were kind of happy to, to cede the pay TV business to Google, who for whatever reason wants to get into it. Uh, and can you comment on um, sports programming? How does that figure in here, or is that 
a, uh, a big deal because that does seem to be very much in play. Live sports on television is so important to terrestrial television. Um, I, yeah, live sports is pretty much the main thing keeping the pay TV bundle together, period. It's usually the major reason anyone is paying for TV is because they want the sports that's available. Um, and the interesting timing here is that uh, a few weeks ago, Disney, Warner Brothers, and Fox said, we're going to pull together a new sports version of pay TV. It'll launch this fall. Um, They haven't said what the price is, but the guesstimating is maybe around 50 bucks. And it will have a lot of sports, but it won't have every bit of sports. It won't, and crucially, it won't have all of the NFL. Um, Because if you want all the NFL, you also have to have have NBC, you have to have Amazon, CBS. So it won't have those things. And so there's a real question about, all right, you're going to have this thing that is for sports lovers, but won't give them everything they can get from conventional pay TV. Again, if that thing is 50 bucks and and, uh, Google YouTube TV is 72 bucks, why would I give up my conventional TV and go down to this thing? And so there's a lot of skepticism on whether there's going to be a market for that thing at that price. Uh, that's another conversation for us. Peter Kafka, Chief we'll Correspondent. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll definitely come back to that. Peter, thank you for your time today. Really interesting stuff. Thanks for having me. Peter Kafka is the Chief Correspondent at Business Insider. Get you more business news with Steve Grzanich. Start your timer. It's time for the Wintrust Business Minute, sharing Chicago's business news of the day. Capital One says it plans to keep the Discover brand after announcing a deal to buy the Riverwoods-based financial services company. It's an all-stock deal valued at $35 billion and could close later this year if it gets regulatory approval from the government. The deal would create the largest U.S. credit card company by loan volume. Until now, Capital One had to rely on Visa or MasterCard to issue its credit cards. This deal would enable the company to cut out those middlemen. The Virginia-based Capital One is the 12th largest U.S. bank as of the third quarter. Discover is the 33rd biggest. North Chicago-based AbbVie has a new CEO. Robert Michael will replace Richard Gonzalez, who's retiring. Gonzalez has been CEO since AbbVie was launched in 2013 as a spinoff of Abbott Labs. Michael has been serving as the company's president and chief operating officer until now. I'm Steve Grzanich, and that's your Wintrust Business Minute. Okay, business of food, Steve Alexander. Yeah, thank you, and let's go to the phone. Am I speaking to the Peoria County pig lady? You are. More from her and her real name after I thank the Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com for sponsoring us today. There's never been a better time to put a Silverado in your toolbox. Okay, you're the Peoria County pig lady? Yeah. <laughs> How did that happen? It started with a egg in the class classroom project. Yeah, she takes cute little baby pigs into the classroom. Or did. Last time we did it was right when COVID shut us down. I think we were close to 265, 75 classrooms, somewhere in there. Oh, I bet the kids loved that. Your real name? My name is Cheryl Walsh. The new president of the Illinois Pork Producers Association, and she's a fourth-generation farmer. My family owns a cell farm around Bradford, which is north of Peoria, about 35, 40 miles. We also have around 40 cow-calf pairs, and we sell feeder calves. And we row crop, corn and soybeans. That's a lot of work. And she and her significant other have a blended family of five children, four girls and a boy between the ages of 11 and 16. Every night there's a ball game somewhere. (laughs) So with all of that going on, why did you take on the job of president of the Pork Association? I believe it's really important to be involved in an industry 
that contributes so much to my livelihood. And a part of her involvement is being in touch with what happens in Springfield and Washington, D.C. I know my representatives, and I have a great relationship with all of them. Making sure ag's not overlooked? Yeah, that is part of it. Most of our population is in the northern part of the state. And down on the farm, visas for farm workers continues to be a problem. But lawmakers? They don't want to talk about it because it's all part of this huge immigration bill that nobody wants to touch. We'll dig deeper into that labor problem another day, but congratulations to the Peoria County Pig Lady, Cheryl Walsh, the 2024 president of the Illinois Pork Producers Association. On the food calendar, it's National Muffin Day and... Cherry, cherry pie. Yeah, National Cherry Pie Day. I'm Steve Alexander. That's the business of food on 720 WGN. so good, Among our texters, by the way, 312-981-7200, if you want to jump in on the show. Yes, YouTube TV is better when considering the recording option. There is no limit, John, on recordings, and you do not have to pay more for recordings on each TV. It's a good story. It is helpful for listeners to know this more affordable option. There are plenty of live sports on YouTube TV. I think that's the thing that people will shop for as much as anything. Uh, Yeah, you want your channels and you want your affordability and navigability, but it's sports. People want to find their sports on TV. If if I'm going to pay for a uh, subscription service or platform and it doesn't have it, and then i got to go somewhere else to get my other games. It's not enough to say, well, you've got a lot of the football games here. No, I want all of my team's games, and I, and I want what I want. Sports, I think, is a, uh, a thing about which people just will not compromise. If you are a Marquette fan, if you are a Northwestern fan, then, and your platform does not have your, uh, your team, then you're going to go get your team. Or at least you're not going to sign up for that platform if it doesn't provide that. <laughs> it seems like the more options, the, the the more the cost. I guess that's not surprising, but it would be nice if the market was going in a different direction. If some of these options would sort of come together, give me everything I want, and then because of scale, it would cost me less. I haven't heard anybody say that these things are all added up going to be less. Hey, John, YouTube TV is my provider. And along with unlimited DVR service, there's another one. You can record every episode of everything you want without end. You can watch multiple sports games at once. For example, four NCAA games on one screen. I am looking forward to March Madness. Wow, I like the sound of that. Multiple sports games at once and unlimited recording. The cable service I have out there in Ottawa, no DVR. No direct recording. If the game is on and I'm not home to watch it, I don't get it. John, we had uh, YouTube TV for years. We made our decision based on the programs they offer. Some of the channels we wanted weren't available on other streaming platforms. 773 says YouTube TV has very reasonable menu guide and navigation. 815, just switched from Mediacom to YouTube TV. I'm saving $75 a month. I might have to look into that. I'm a Mediacom guy. 708 says, I just signed up for YouTube TV, and my bill is now $170 a month versus 
$370 a month. 847, John, I have YouTube TV now. The one thing I like is that there is a DVR on all your TVs, and you can watch all the streaming services all on your TVs without having a special box. <laughs> okay, I'm in. This is, uh, this is compelling. John, YouTube TV is better when you consider the recording option. That's what you're all telling me you love about that, huh? YouTube TV, which is different than YouTube. I was clicking around YouTube last night. I was actually looking for something. I didn't find it. YouTube was the next tab. I clicked on that. Now I'm watching a documentary about the building of the pyramids or something. And I think it was actually on YouTube. That's it. That was the platform I was watching where there'd be a program that they would have a thumbnail on. And I'd say, okay, I'll click on that. Now I'm watching it. And then just blam in the middle, a commercial or two run. It, there, was, there was no deference to where the show was or even in the middle of a sentence. Just all of a sudden I'm watching a commercial. Okay, I guess they'll come back to the show. Now that was YouTube, but that wasn't YouTube TV. Those were essentially just videos on that site, I guess. Huh? Um, this has just been handed to me. YouTube TV has all the sports you would expect plus more. YouTube TV is great, says 773. This is the Google offering. This is the Google company. You just add apps for other platforms. The cost is great, and the remote is so easy to use. Also, John, you, plug, you can plug headphones into the remote so you don't have to listen to someone else watching TV when you don't want to. That's huge if you live with people who are hard of hearing. And we get local news. We don't live in a big city like Chicago. Ours comes from Quincy. Eh, okay, thanks for the heads up on that, y'all. Uh, this is news to me.